chapter 13, verses 31 to 33 and 44 to 52. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw the bad, threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate from the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things? And they said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house, who brings out of his treasures what is new and what is old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. If you would please join me in prayer quickly. Lord, we thank you for your word in this day, in our time of worship. Lord, we pray, God, as we continue to worship you, Lord, through your word and through Eucharist and through more song, Lord, and we pray, God, that you would be honored by our worship, Lord, and that you would pour out your spirit among us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name, amen. I want to begin with a little story. Most of us may know this. Most of us may not. Who knows? But I just find it interesting. So, um, while celebrating Mass on December the 6th, 1273, so one or two years ago, uh, December the 6th, for those that don't know, is the Feast of St. Nicholas of Myra, who, St. Nicholas of Myra, is the inspiration for the myth of Santa Claus. If you want to know more about that, I'm, I'd love to talk about it after church. I have an icon of St. Nicholas in my office at home because my in-laws brought it back from Greece. It's wonderful. But anyway... While celebrating Mass on, G on December the 6th, 1273, St. Thomas Aquinas, who was probably one of the most well-known theologians of the Middle Ages, had some type of mystical experience of God. And it affected him so deeply that he completely stopped every bit of his work on his massive systematic theology called the Summa Theologica. And afterwards, after Mass, he proclaimed this. He said, The end of my labors has come. All that I have written appears to be as straw after the things that have been revealed to me. So no one knows exactly what it was that Thomas saw. 
what he experienced. Because he never really spoke about it. He never wrote about it. And he actually died three months after that experience. So he died around March of 1274. And so these five parables that we have today raise a few questions that we will be asking ourselves this morning. And they are questions like this. How much does the kingdom of heaven influence my life and my decisions? How much does the kingdom of heaven influence the world around me as it works through me? But also, how valuable is the kingdom of heaven to me? See, over the last two weeks, we've been looking all through chapter 13 of Matthew, and we have seen Jesus describe multiple aspects of the kingdom of heaven to us. In the parable of the sower, he told us that the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that a sower sows among all kinds of soil. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, he does something similar, except this time he sows the children of the kingdom of heaven in his field. And so now, through the rest of this chapter that we will look at today, in rapid-fire succession, he gives us five more parables. He gives us five similes to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says it is like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. It's like hidden treasure. It's like a pearl, and it's like a fishing net. And through these five similes, what Jesus is teaching us is he's teaching us that the kingdom of heaven is exceedingly influential, and it's exceedingly valuable. And so I want to look at just those two aspects of the kingdom of heaven. So starting with the influence of the kingdom of heaven, he gives us three parables in our text this morning. And by looking at this one first, we can only understand that through the kingdom's exceeding influence can we fully properly grasp and understand the, the exceeding value of the kingdom of heaven. And so he tells us first, just there at the beginning of your, of your text and your bulletin, he tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and it is like leaven. Now I will do this. <laughs> so it's like a mustard seed and it's like leaven. So these first two parables demonstrate for us that the same principle that we have touched on over the last two weeks, right? That the kingdom of heaven appears to be small and insignificant like a seed. But appearances, as we all know, can be very deceiving. Because Jesus reminds us here in this first parable of the mustard seed, that there is a massive difference in a mustard seed's minuscule size compared to the tree that grows out of a mustard seed. If you've never looked at a mustard seed, and I know in some you know, little Christian trinket shops you can actually buy mustard seeds that are you know, preserved or whatever else, but mustard seeds, and I'm not talking about the grain mustard that you buy at the store that's German mustard, right? That is mustard seed that has been inflated with vinegar and everything else, and it's amazing mustard. But actual mustard seeds are very small. Most of them are one sixteenth of an inch. Right? They're very, very tiny. If you were to hold it in, your, in the palm of your hand, it would be hard to even discern that you have something in your palm of your hand. It's so small. But a typical mustard tree can grow anywhere from 9 feet all the way up to 30 feet in height. And a mustard tree usually grows as wide as it is tall. So go Google a mustard tree. And you'll find these pictures. And some of them are beautiful trees, but they are massively tall, and they have a lot of shade. And so Jesus' point here when he's, when he's telling us that the, parrot, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed is he's telling us that the kingdom of heaven has a seemingly insignificant beginning as a seed, but its influence will grow greater than any kingdom of the earth could ever dream of. 
But then he also, in, the, in, these, in this first parable, he gives us this really interesting detail here about birds. Now, in the parable of the sower, the birds that come and steal away the seed, we understood to be the demonic forces. But, but birds have a different meaning here. And what Jesus is doing is he is directly referencing a passage from Ezekiel chapter 17. In that passage, and I'm going to read it, it's verses 22 to 24 if you want to write it down or if you want to turn there with me. But in that passage, what God is doing is he's promising to plant a tree in Israel that will provide safety for everyone who dwells within that tree. And so God says this, he says, Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and I will set it out. I will break off from the top of its most young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am Yahweh. I bring low the high tree and I make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am Yahweh. I have spoken and I will do it. So what Jesus is doing here is he's telling us, he says, look, while Yahweh promises to plant a tree in Israel after the exile, this is what Elijah is talking about. Excuse me, Ezekiel, not Elijah. But this tree in Jesus' hands as the fulfillment of the seed in the hands of the Son of God incarnate this Israel tree includes more than ethnic Israel. This now includes the Gentiles. The birds are us. We are the Gentiles. We are the birds that come and nest in the tree of Christ for shelter and for comfort and for salvation. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. But the message of the leaven is very similar to the message of the mustard seed. Because leaven is seemingly insignificant, right? You don't really get a whole lot out of it if you look at it, right? We have a little jar, I think, of yeast. Leaven is yeast, right? So if you like to make bread, this is what it is. We have a little jar of it in the refrigerator. Yeast, by itself, you're just like, what, what, what is this thing, right? So, but leaven, when it is mixed in with flour, it grows and it influences everything that it comes in contact with. This is the message of the parable of the leaven, so in this parable, what Jesus is doing is he tells us here of a woman, and he says, look, this woman, she takes a bit of yeast, she takes some leaven, and she puts it into some flour. So we understand very quickly she's making bread, right? This is the process of how to make bread. And while this might seem like just a very innocent scene of a woman making daily bread for the family, Jesus gives us an interesting detail here because the amount of flour that he references is absolutely outrageous, right? And that's the point of this parable. So he says here that she took leaven and mixed it in, hid it within three measures of flour. Three measures, measures of flour equals about 50 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour, right? Right? So you might be one of these. I know Sharon was one. During the COVID lockdowns, a lot of people took up the habit of bread making, right? Just to, just to see if they could do it, right? Because who knows what the groceries are going to do. Now, we have a bread machine now, right? So, I mean, it's... it's you throw everything in and the bread machine takes care of the rest. But Sharon, Sharon tried a few different kinds of breads and they all turned out really good, I think. I mean, you know, okay. They, they, took, they turned out okay according to the face she's making. <laughs> but one thing is for certain about all the bread that Sharon made. She never tried to make 50 pounds of flour of bread in one go, right? 
partly because our kitchen at the time was very small and it just wouldn't have accompanied it. But, but the woman in this parable is absolutely ambitious with 50 pounds of flour. So this tells us something, right? This tells us that she's not making a daily loaf for the family. She's making a lot of bread. One commentator even said that this amount of flour would make enough bread to feed at least 100 people, if not 150 people. This woman is making a feast of bread. So compare that to Jesus' lesson to this parable. Think about how this influences the kingdom of heaven and how the kingdom of heaven influences everything around it. Similar to the mustard seed, just a very small amount of leaven transforms a large amount of flour. And so too does the kingdom of heaven change everything that it touches. The kingdom of heaven, like leaven, influences and brings change from within, slowly and organically. Chrysostom's right here, he says this. He says, leaven converts any quantity of flour into its own quality. And though it is hidden within the flour, the leaven is not destroyed. Rather, little by little, it transforms the whole lump into its own condition. This happens with the gospel and with the kingdom of heaven. So just as a small amount of leaven can influence enough flour to make a large feast of bread, the kingdom of heaven has exceeding influence on the world because of its message of the gospel and its children who go out and proclaim it. That's you and that's me. So let's ask those questions again real quick. How much is the kingdom of heaven influencing my life? How much is it influencing my decisions? How much does the kingdom of heaven working through me like leaven by the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit, how much is the kingdom of heaven through me influencing the world around me? Are those around me aware that they can find rest in the branches of Christ because of the leaven of the kingdom of heaven working through me? But Jesus tells us one more parable about the influence of the kingdom, and it's actually there toward the bottom of your scripture in your, in your bulletin. Excuse me, I was, my brain was not thinking of the word bulletin. It's there in your bulletin toward the bottom, and he tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. And so he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered every fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The kingdom of heaven's influence is like a net. It's like a net through the work of the church. It's like a net through the proclamation of Christ and the gospel. And just like how the sower sows the seed of the gospel along all kinds of soil conditions, so too the fisherman now casts his net out into the sea and he gathers all kinds of fish into his net by casting out the word of the kingdom like a net and casting out us as his church like a net. We are thrown out into the sea of the world. And notice here what he tells us. He says, just like the seed falls along all kinds of soil, a fishing net is also just as discriminating as a seed where it's sown, right? Because a net, by its very nature, it doesn't care what, gets, what it catches, right? A net, a net doesn't care because it's not designed to discriminate based what gets in its influence. Rather, when the net is pulled in, it pulls in whatever is in its grasp. So the job of discerning the fish 
is left up to the ones ordained for the task. Those sit down and sort the fish that are worthy to be kept and the fish that are to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And just like the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares that we saw last week, just as good and evil grow up together as they do in a field, God will see to their separation at the end of the age. Now this doesn't negate our responsibility to disciple one another and to discipline in the church when, that Jesus commands us to do in Matthew 18. But rather what it does is it reminds us that our responsibility is to influence the world for the kingdom of heaven like a net cast into the sea. But it's God's responsibility to separate the evil from the righteous. Gregory the Great writes here, he says this. He says, The church is compared to a net because all people are drawn up into it from the turbulent waters of the present age and into the kingdom of heaven. This net, he said, gathers all kinds of fish because it calls everyone, wise and foolish, free and slave, rich and poor, brave and weak. The net of the church calls all to forgiveness of sin found in Christ Jesus. And so what we see here in this parable is our roles as empowered disciples of Christ to continue his work and his ministry as his body and his ambassadors. The kingdom is to be cast far and wide, and its influence is to seep into every aspect, not only of our lives, but also of the lives of those around us. Like leaven, like a mustard tree, like a fishing net, our seemingly insignificant small size is very deceiving. Because in our smallness, we are mighty for the kingdom of God. And we are to grow outwards and influence the world around us for the kingdom of heaven. So again, how much is the kingdom of heaven influencing the world around us as Christ Community Church? And now let's be honest. When we ask that question, because I've asked myself these questions all week long as I've meditated on this passage. Right? If we ask that question, and if our answers, like mine has been a few times based directly at me, my answer a lot of times has been, it's not really influenced a whole lot. Right? I imagine most of us probably answer the same way sometimes. So if that is our answer, then another question comes up, and that's the question of value. Right? We must ask, okay, if the kingdom of heaven is not doing a whole lot of influence, then how much do I really value the kingdom of heaven? How much do I personally value it? That's the question that the last two parables that he gives us answers. And so he says this first in verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl, a merchant, excuse me, in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So both of these parables they feature something very valuable, something that's worth a lot. And when that person finds that valuable thing, they go above and beyond any expectations to acquire that valuable thing, right? regardless of any type of personal cost that might be involved for them. And so we come to this first one of this hidden treasure. And, and I, I, what I try to do when, when, I'm, when I'm studying and when I'm preparing is I try to read these things as if I've never read them before, even though I know where they're going. Right? When, you're, when you're trying to teach and preach, you want to try to help people understand what Jesus is saying. Right? And so, so it's really helpful sometimes to assume that you're completely ignorant of the text. And so you just start to read it, and you're like, well, how would I approach this if I'd never read it before? 
And so, considering our context, our historical era, everything else, right? It's 2023, we're in Jackson, Tennessee. You come to this parable and you go, how in the world could somebody randomly stumble upon a lot of valuables buried in the middle of a field? Right? That, that's, that's not part of our daily experience, right? So most folks throughout the majority of history, especially common people, hid their money on their property or they hid it in their homes because there was usually not a good banking system involved, right? Now, banking goes all well back into antiquity, right? Especially lending. But safe deposit boxes don't, right? Savings accounts don't. Layaway didn't exist. That's more shopping than banking, but still you get the point, right? But so most common folks did not have a place to go and secure their valuables, or even their money. So what they did is they often buried their valuables on their property, or they hid them in inconspicuous places around their homes, right? You might have a parent or a grandparent, you may have heard them talk about doing this during the Great Depression. I heard my grandparents talk about this, right? A lot of archaeological digs have found, especially in this area of the world, just these places that used to be farming fields, and they've just found clay pots full of money and gold coins, because those people either died and forgot that they buried it, or they just forgot they buried it. And so what this parable does immediately is immediately starts to grab our imagination because we have not lost the desire to find buried treasure. Have you ever read or watched and enjoyed a pirate novel or a pirate movie? Right? Goonies never say die. Right? Or this is the day you almost caught Captain Jack Sparrow. Right? We have seen pirate movies. We love pirate movies because we like to find buried treasure. And like a pirate who discovers buried treasure, this laborer finds this treasure and he hides it away again. He knows where he's hidden it. Now, whether or not he created a map with X marking the spot is neither here nor there. The point is, is he knows where he's hidden it. He secures it. He protects it. And then he goes and he sells every last thing he has ever owned for the sake of buying that field where he hid the treasure because that treasure is worth more than every item he has ever owned. And Jesus' lesson in this one little parable is very clear, right? The kingdom of heaven is worth giving up everything we have because the kingdom of heaven is worth far more than our valuables. And it is worth far more than our possessions. And it is worth far more than even control over any aspect of our lives. And like the laborer who randomly discovers it in the field, once we fully comprehend the exceeding value of the kingdom that Christ brings... Surrendering everything we have to acquire it is an easy decision because the kingdom of heaven is valuable. Origen writes here, he says this, he says, The one who went and bought the field was no longer keeping anything that was formerly his because his possessions would be a distracted source of evil for him. Likewise, those who give up all to follow Christ have received in their place a noble resolution from God their helper that they may purchase the field containing the hidden treasure of Christ and the kingdom of heaven. This laborer sells everything and buys that field, teaching us that even though the kingdom might look weak and small and insignificant as the world might measure these things, the value of the kingdom of heaven is limitless. And if the parable of the treasure compares the discovery of the kingdom of heaven to a random and delightful surprise like this laborer had, then the parable of the pearl compares it to the completion of a quest. 
And it was here in my preparation that my, my Lord of the Rings nerdiness started like going off, right? So, because the quest is done, right? So notice, though, that, that the difference between the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl is that there is a looking aspect in this parable. He is searching, right? The merchant is frantically searching for valuable pearls. So some people may randomly stumble upon the kingdom of heaven in a field, but the kingdom of heaven is also open and available to everyone who is looking for it. And the lesson of both of these parables is the exact same. Once it is found, the merchant, like the laborer, goes and sells all that he has to buy that one particular pearl. Because the kingdom of heaven is a priceless jewel, and no sacrifice is too great to acquire it teaching us that the kingdom of heaven demands the surrender of all earthly value, not because the kingdom seeks to make us poor, but because it is worth more than anything that we could have. Theodore Mopsuestio writes this. He says, These are those who immediately recognize by divine grace the greatness of Christ in that they despise all of their former things and look to this one thing alone, recognizing it as the one who is salvation for them. And then Gregory the Great says something similar. He says, He who has a clear knowledge of the sweetness of heavenly life gladly leaves behind all the things he loves on earth. And compared with that pearl, everything else fades in value. His heart yearns for the heavenly things, and nothing on earth pleases him. Remember Thomas Aquinas from earlier? Remember that story when he was doing mass and then had this mystical experience of God. He said, all that I have written seems like straw compared to what has been revealed to me. Thomas found the pearl of great price in that moment. He he fully comprehended in that moment Christ and his kingdom and God. And he realized that his works were absolutely useless compared to the value of the kingdom of Christ. So again, let's ask those questions How much do I value the kingdom of heaven? Is it more valuable than whatever I'm holding on to? And that doesn't have to be physical possessions, right? This could be anything, right? This could be control over your life. This could be a relationship. This could be our expectations for life or our expectations for a job or expectations even for church. Is the kingdom of Christ exceedingly valuable? And is it exceedingly valuable to you more than whatever you might be clinging on to? These are the questions that Jesus asks. And so then he ends this whole series of parables with one more question. He turns to his disciples and he says this, Have you understood these things? And they say, yes. Now we know if you continue reading Matthew, they probably didn't really understand it well in that moment. right? But he, is, he, you know, he takes them at their word right here, and then he, so he says this. He says, okay. Then every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So what he does here is he describes for us not so much the kingdom of heaven directly, but now he describes the scribes of the kingdom of heaven. He's describing his people. He's describing the church. He's describing you and me as believers. He's describing the children of the kingdom. And so he challenges us like he challenges his disciples here. He says, look, use your knowledge and your understanding of the kingdom of heaven to make it known and understood to the world around you. And so by asking them this question here in verse 51, 
What Jesus is doing is he's really very quickly showing his, his grace to us, his mercy to us, because he says, look, I've just given you seven really heavy parables, and I want you to take a moment, and I want you to breathe. Right? I'm your teacher. I want to make sure you understand the lesson that I'm teaching you. Take a moment. Have you comprehended what I've just told you? And they say, yeah, absolutely. Again, probably not. But let's, let, let me break down what he says in this last one. Some people actually call verse 52 the parable of the scribe. And so it says, he says this. I'm just going to break it down real quick. He says, therefore, every scribe, so every Christian, every believer, children of the kingdom of heaven, every scribe who has been trained, this is everyone who has been discipled to persevere. Because those who persevere to the end, he's already told us in chapter 10, will be saved. He says, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. This is Christ. But we're like the master because discipling leads to Christ-likeness. And we become like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. We bring out the new instruction of Christ, which is the revealed truths of the kingdom of heaven. And we bring out of the old, the tested truths of the old covenant. Scribes of the kingdom of heaven value both the Old and New Testaments. And we draw from them because they are the unified revelation of God in his word. To reject one is to reject the other. So as we close, let's just ask these questions one more time. And again, I've been asking myself these questions all week as I've looked at this passage. So how much is the kingdom of heaven influencing me and my decisions? How much is the kingdom of heaven working through me by the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit influencing the world around me? Do I value the kingdom of heaven? Is the kingdom of heaven priceless to me? Is it like hidden treasure that I've randomly found in a field? Is it like a pearl? Is it worth more than everything else that I might value? And I'll be honest. If I had to answer these questions publicly and honestly, and because I am standing before you publicly, I will answer honestly. I have to say that I know that I have not valued the kingdom of heaven as I should. Again, I imagine everyone in here would probably answer the same, whether that be today or not, at some point in your life. Because I know I have allowed relationships. I've allowed expectations of jobs. I've allowed expectations of the church to influence how I perceive the kingdom of heaven to be and how I assume the kingdom of heaven should be. I've even done this with Christ Community Church. And that's no one else's fault but my own. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven should be the most valuable thing to us. And it should be so exceedingly valuable that its influence is immediately perceived by everyone we come in contact with. It should be felt through us. It should flow out of us. So take from this what you will. Especially, take from this what you will as to how God has chosen to use his word to speak to you this morning. But, but my personal application from this is how Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So regardless of how God might choose to move, regardless of how God in his mercy and in his sovereignty chooses to use me, how he chooses to use Christ Community Church, how he chooses to use me and the work that he has called me to as both a Christian and as a pastor and an elder, regardless of my perceptions, I pray that God causes me to value the kingdom of heaven first and foremost, above all else, and that he causes me 
to allow, to allow the kingdom of heaven to influence not only my life, but the lives of those around me as I live and as I act, as I pastor, as I preach, and as I teach. And my prayer is, is that as we go from this place today and out into the world for the rest of the week, that you feel the same way. And so may God receive all of the glory. May his kingdom advance to the ends of the earth. And may we as his bride and his body be given grace enough to just be able to take part in a fraction of his kingdom work. To the glory of his name and to the praise of Christ Jesus our Lord.